everyone, and welcome back to Very Cold Lasagna, the Filthy Casual podcast for all the Filthy Casual takes on the world of sports. I am Dylan Lasagna, and welcome to episode number 120 of this icy yet spicy podcast of said takes on the world of sports. And, well, here we are, just a few days removed from the end of what was a weird weekend of playoff football. Yes, we are here to talk about one thing and one thing only, and that is, of course, NFL Super Wild Card Weekend 2022 edition. And, yeah, these matchups were actually a little bit more surprising than people expected. As I talked about in the Super Wild Card Weekend Filthy Casuals preview, you know, I talked about how a lot of these, like, rematches, which basically they were, you know... I initially thought they were going to be like total wipeouts, total like wishy-washies um, for the most part. Um, you know, a few, like at least two of them were, but a lot of them were very surprising to say the least. Um, how, how close they were uh, down to the down to the wire, which makes for uh, either good football or bad football <laughs> like um, down uh, down to the wire. Uh, it, I mean, again, it depends on your. Uh, view of the imagination of it but in the end you know it was some pretty uh, solid football um this weekend to open the nfl playoffs this year so we're going to talk about it in this particular episode of very cold lasagna obviously i want to talk about some things uh uh do some a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the main meat and potatoes of this show on today so First things first, you know, always make sure to check out everything in relation to Very Cold Lasagna, whether it's on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and uh, yeah, Google Podcasts. Yes, we're on Google uh, Podcasts as well, and Spotify. So yeah, for all my audio listeners out there, you're once again getting back into the rotation, uh, slowly but surely. I'm trying not to forget about all of you, um, and then we're pumping out more YouTube content um throughout um throughout even more as well and don't forget to rate and review um very cold lasagna on the audio side of things as well like and comment on youtube as well and i will i will remind everyone again that it's gonna get i'm gonna get very weird on my end because it's gonna get uh very busy um in the next week or so because just uh of my my work schedule it's gonna get kind of (laughs) screwy it might uh cause a little bit of stress on my end so um if i don't put anything up like with the divisional playoff recap or like a conference championship preview or so something next week um i i do apologize in advance it's just like my like me trying to keep up with that intense schedule um, I'm gonna be working like I'm telling you right now. I'm gonna be working like literally full days next week. Literally next week at my at one of my jobs. It's like I kid you not. It's gonna be intense. I can't disclose. I don't. I'm not. I can't disclose anything um, just for privacy reasons. But it's gonna get real intense next week. Um, and I'm just gonna. I'm just trying to find the time uh, where to fit it in. To get this uh, content out for you all um, to the best of my ability. I'm going to try. 
If I don't, I, I apologize in advance. Life happens. So anyway, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, what I wanted to talk about to open this, uh, today's episode. Now, let's talk about this super wild card weekend. Super wild card. Ultra wild card. Look at this freaking wild card, man. So, as I said, um, when we were doing the Filthy Casuals uh, guide uh, to Super Wild Card Weekend, I was kind of like a little uh, meh on the overall on the overall like playoff weekend in general, like on, at least on paper, because well, it's a lot of rematches from uh, from the entire like twenty twenty two regular season, and you know a lot of the teams going in were either pretty bad or like we knew what the result was going to be going in. And then, yeah, as we, <laughs> as we turned out, as it turned out, yeah, it didn't, that didn't happen at, at all, or at least not close to what was happening. So when we look at this like super wild card weekend slate that we're about to talk about, there are a lot of things to take away from not just the winners, but also the losers of of e- of these games, because even the losing teams have a lot to talk about. There's a lot of things to take away from them. So, oh boy, buckle up, bitches! It's time to break down Super Wild Card Weekend, starting with the Saturday slate, um, the NFC uh, first round matchup. Kick things off, obviously. Um, I was trying to catch up so hard on this. And for all the people that caught my uh, recap of this game, I do apologize in advance. It was kind of like messy. Um, I was trying to watch that game. Fit that in my schedule. I kind of rushed it. Eh, I do apologize. It is what it is. So anyway, the NFC uh, wildcard matchup between my San Francisco 49ers, the number two seed in the NFC, hosted the seventh seed, the Seattle Seahawks in a three match of their NFC West rivalry. The Niners won the uh, the season series. They swept the Seahawks. Then they were looking for a three peat sweep. Um, so as the NFC West champion, they hosted uh, the Seahawks in this three match. And you know, I gotta say, uh, the Niners did not look uh, pretty good defensively um, for most of the first half. Um, and Brock Purdy, you know, as I, I kind of expected this from from Purdy, uh, considering this was his first playoff game, and he's only had what five or six starts under his belt. It was kind of expected that he was gonna look really shaky in the first half, and maybe a little too try hardish, because when you look at how he played in the first half compared to the second half, first half first, he was either throwing some. Usually nice uh, passes, whether it's like a check down or trying to get aggressive. And he actually did connect with the, uh, some long passes. Or he made some bad decisions, like a badly underthrown ball to Juwan Jennings in the red zone. Um, that could have gave the Niners the opening drive touchdown. Um, but instead, they settled for a field goal on their first drive. But then they bou- he bounced back later on on their second second drive. When they got back into the red zone, thanks to Christian McCaffrey's long, uh, a long, long run to set up that, he found McCaffrey with like a sequence where he was like, uh, gained, gained pressure in the pocket. Then he ran out of the pocket. He was like scrambling around, and then 
He sidearmed it to Christian, uh, he, who just waltzed in for the score, and they were ten up, up ten nothing, early in the first quarter. But then, yeah, other like early on in the, in the first half, he was like pretty shaky with those uh, short, those passes. Like he was good, and then he was bad, um, which honestly was kind of expected, uh, at least for me. I'm not sure about you all. But then when you look at the Seahawks, um, they were hurting the Niners' defense um, in a lot of ways. Uh, Kenneth Walker was gashing the run, uh, their run defense multiple times. He even like, walked in for a 20-plus yard touchdown. And then Geno Smith was actually attacking the Niners with, the, with some good shots in the secondary and in the air via the play-action pass. So when Geno Smith handed off the ball to Kenneth Walker and then hold, held onto it, um, especially like outside the pocket, the the defense was just unable to do anything. Um, when he got to DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett or somebody else, they were just getting picked on. Especially Charvarius Ward, he didn't have a good first half against DK Metcalf. He got burned. He just absolutely got burned on the touchdown that allowed Seattle to take a, take the lead with a, I think it was like over seven minutes to go in that first half. Um, and then they were a little bit undisciplined as well um, for the 49ers defense. Uh, Jimmy Ward made a bad hit on Geno, like an unnecessary roughness penalty. Like, he didn't need to do that. Like, he knew he was sliding. Um, and, yeah, he there's at the same time, some people couldn't say the argument. Like, he didn't need to do that. Or, like, what else was he supposed to do? Like, like jump, like suddenly jump out of the air? And, yeah, that's also true. But it's like that's something that he knows is better. So Seattle took like a lead at halftime, 17 to 6. But then the Niners start to come together um, in the first half. Brock Purdy looked much better, looked more poised. Uh, the offensive line was doing a much better job of protecting him against the Seattle pass rush. Um, but then Seattle once again uh, used the strength of their, off their own offensive line, who, by the way, actually did a solid job against the interior pass rush, as well as Nick Boza as well. They gave Geno all day to throw as they got back to the Niners' red zone. But it was the, the strip sack of uh, defensive tackle Charles Omenahu that changed the tide of the game for good. So, yeah, the Niners' offense took advantage of that. Purdy hit some long strikes to Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings. And then once it got to the fourth quarter, when they continued their drive, he did a pocket scramble uh, again. This time, he threw it to Elijah Mitchell, took it into the end zone, and then he connected with George Kittle with a two-point conversion. The Niners were up, by that point, 31-17. to 17. They were completely throwing off Seattle, and then the defense finally settled in. They finally got the heat on the offensive line. They finally were able to get to Geno Smith, um, putting that pressure on him, and three and out, and an interception by Tashawn Gibson, and then Birdie, like connected with Debo, who, courtesy of Brandon Ayuk giving him a good block, a long catch and run, seventy plus yards, and the Niners eventually ran with away with that game, forty-one to twenty-three. So you got to give a little bit of credit to Seattle, I guess. They had they had everybody there. They really had everybody um, a little bit worried uh, for Niners fans because they played a real 
real close for a good chunk of that game um with a lot of clean play by their offensive line giving all uh all the time in the world for Gino to throw and DK Metcalf was just having his way with Charvarius Ward who honestly prior to the second half didn't have much of a good game uh in coverage man to man against against Metcalf like Metcalf was like a man on a mission um after uh, the bad uh, week 15 game in, in Seattle. So DK Metcalf really did a number on uh, Charvarius Ward until like the, the fourth quarter. So unfortunately for Seattle um, in the fourth quarter, they just basically imploded after that uh, strip sack uh, turnover. And they made another turnover and they committed more penalties too, where they didn't do any penalties in the, the first half. So yeah, for Seattle, they their season ends at the hands of their their division rivals, the 49ers. Now they have an, a major offseason decision coming. Uh, do they sign Geno Smith to a long term deal? Does Geno Smith uh, agree to a deal that works for the best of them? Does he want a big fat contract? Does, is he going to demand a big fat contract, or is the Seahawks going to give him a big fat contract? Well. It's something to um, be worth watching. Um, if they do, is it will it be something worth long term? That that's something that remains to be seen. Uh, coming soon to an off season near you. Meanwhile, for the 49ers, um, they have for the next game. They're gonna have to um, be better defensively. Um, whoever their next opponent will be, more on that in just a bit. They can't allow that to happen. They cannot allow that to happen. Um, they're going to have to come out of the gate uh, much stronger, uh, more faster, because if they play a much better opponent with a better offensive line, with um, with a better uh, receiving attack, better, better rushing attack, they will get hurt right away. Um, and especially with the, with the secondary and their own holes, if Traveris Schwartz has another bad game, then there could be some issues there in the in the secondary. So they got the big turnover, but then what if they don't get the big turnover and put the game away? Then there can be some concerns there in the in the in the defense. So the Niners have to do better defensively uh, to start the game and continue the consistency from that point on in in the divisional playoffs. So overall, it was a pretty Good performance for the 49ers all around in the second half. Uh, going to the divisional playoffs, um, I would like to see some more, just just some more, uh, a better start. I'll just keep it simple as that. A better start from the 49ers um, all around. As for Brock Purdy, passed another test. Um, it's only going to get tougher from from here on from here on out, um, and how he does, well. Let's just hope he does well. Now on to the next game. Uh, the nightcapper for, for Saturday. And we toward, head towards the AFC as the all-elite Jacksonville Jaguars. The number four seed took on the number five seed, LA Chargers. So this is a rematch of their week three meeting um, that the Jaguars won back in LA, 38-10. This time, the Jaguars, as the AFC South champions, uh, got to host the Chargers uh, this time around. So, this game was 
primed to be a blowout. This game was primed to be an easy win for for Brandon Staley's crew because, well, Trevor Lawrence had a really shitty first half. He was terrible. He was god-awful. Four interceptions in the first half, three of them to corner on Sante Samuel Jr. And they also had a muff punt. They also have a, had a muff punt in the, the special teams. And Trevor Lawrence was just crumbling to the Chargers pass rush. He, he was like, if, if he wasn't crumbling to the Chargers pass rush, then he was just throwing away um, ball, the balls to uh, the defense. It was like, like, it was doing good for, for the Jaguars. In, in a case to be made for them to be all elite, not jokingly. So for the Chargers, they took full advantage of the given short field that they often got from those turnovers Trevor Lawrence was making. Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler, along with the rest of the LA offense, you know, they gashed the Jacksonville defense and they put themselves up quickly 27 to nothing by midway through the second quarter. So it was looking very bad. For Jacksonville, this was not a playoff quality game by that point onwards. But then the, the Jaguars made a touchdown uh, to end the first half. Trevor Lawrence connected with Evan Ingram. And yeah, we, it was the first half. Uh, and, you know, initially I, I would have thought that, OK, they scored a touchdown. But then the Chargers are still playing all right. They're still they they were playing uh solid their defense was still putting the pressure putting the heat they were getting to trevor lawrence and yeah it still seemed like even despite that touchdown the, the chargers were well on their way to the, the divisional playoffs against the chiefs in a three match but then what ended up happening with that touchdown instead led to the spark igniting the all elite jaguars yes the Jaguars, sponsored by All Elite Wrestling's, and their main man, Tony Khan. Tony Khan must have talked to the Jaguars, talked to Doug Peterson, and say, hey, you need to you need to go All Elite. You need to sign with All Elite Wrestling right now, pal, or you're gonna get a you're gonna get a rim job. You're gonna get an uh, a, 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 a a rimming by by Kenny Omega and the Cucks of Suck. If you lose this game and Doug Peterson's like, no, no, we don't want that. I don't want that for me or my quarterback. So they went on a run. They went on a run. The defense signed up on a Chargers passing game. That was sorely missing Mike Williams, who, well, because of Brandon Staley's stupidity in week 18 to play his starters, he was out due to a back injury. And the defense increased the pressure on Justin Herbert. They forced him to get the ball out real quick. Forced him in completions. Meanwhile, for the offense, Trevor Lawrence actually had a much better game. He got the ball out much quicker. He got out of the pocket. Picked apart the Chargers defense in the second half. And yeah, his better second half performance was highlighted by a tight rope throw uh, to Zay Jones in the third. Touchdown. Mid-ranger to Evan Ingram. Late in the game. Set up Christian Kirk's touchdown. And a two-point conversion to cut the Chargers lead to two. Combine that with a penalty by Joey Boza for unsportsmanlike conduct. And here you are, the Chargers. 
are once again clippering again. They're, the Clippers are striking back in Jacksonville. And the Jaguars are suddenly trailing just 30 to 28 with two minutes left to go. They get one last stop on defense and the, the Chargers have one more thing to do. They only have one last gasp to stop Trevor Lawrence and and the Jaguars offense from successfully uh, winning the game. But unfortunately, they clip her up. They clip her up, pal. And Travis Etienne, uh, the, run, the Jaguars running back, uh, gets a big run in, into, Jag, into Chargers territory. And that allows Riley Patterson, their kicker, to cap off the third largest playoff comeback in NFL history as the all-elite Jaguars beat the Clippers. Yes, it doesn't matter. It, it Like, the Clippers and the Chargers are the same. Who gives a shit? The LA Clippers were defeated 30-28. Thanks a lot, Brandon Staley. Good job, pal. Yeah, the Jaguars are going to Kansas City. So anyway... Trevor Lawrence, what a game. What like what a tale of two halves. What a tale of two halves by Trevor Lawrence. He had a shitty first half, throwing four interceptions, looked like a very inexperienced quarterback. Um, doesn't didn't know what he was doing. Had no business being in that first round matchup. And then in the second half, they made the adjustments um, for him to be successful, and it paid off. He did he did pretty good. But going into this next Divisional playoff game against Kansas City, um, against the top seeded uh, Patrick Mahomes in that offense. He's gonna have to play an absolutely cleaner game for the Jaguars to have any chance against Patrick Mahomes and and Kansas City, because if he plays like that with a pass rush consisting of Chris Jones, Frank Clark, and yeah, Kansas City def- Kansas City defense is. Yeah, it's kind of okay, but if he lets the pass rush get to him, and he throws like throws balls like he did in the first half against the Clippers, yeah, Patrick Mahomes will make you pay. He will make you pay, like in an instant and more often. The Chiefs will smash the Jaguars if Trevor Lawrence has a performance like that. Meanwhile, for the Clippers though. I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm honestly not surprised that the, they blew it. They absolutely blew it. And I, what, what really bugs me, what really bugs me about this game by the Clippers is the follow-up. And not so much that they blew this game, is what happened afterwards. So recently, the offensive coordinator um, and the passing game coordinator got fired like why would they get fired like why were the only ones they got why were they they why were they the only two that got fired and i mean sure it sucks that for people to lose their jobs but shouldn't have brandon saley the head coach you know the guy that allowed this to happen shouldn't he have been the one that got fired too shouldn't his entire staff be gone as well, including him, for basically choking away the game. Because he is a defensive coach. Isn't he the guy that 
um, schemed up his team to get four interceptions on Trevor Lawrence and then basically shat on that, wasted Asante Samuel's good game. Like, what what are the Chargers doing? What? Oh, sorry, not the Chargers. The Clippers. What are the Clippers doing uh, with Brandon Staley? Why isn't he out of the building yet? And not only that, did I mention the mishandling of Week 18? Like how they missed Mike Williams. They let him hanging out to dry with the back injury. Like, how, how is he not fired yet? How is how is Brandon Staley not fired yet? And again, I hate calling uh, for people to be fired. And yes, I do. I, I hate my gut to do that with, with my 49ers and Kyle Shannon. But it's just like, when they deserve it, they absolutely have to call out it. And yet that sounds hypocritical, but come on, man. How have they not fired him yet? How? It is just ridiculous. So the Jaguars beat the Clippers 30 to 28 in a big ass comeback. And they're moving on to face the Chiefs in the next the next round, the AFC Divisionals. So the playoff picture continued to go full circle for the next round as we reached towards the Sunday slate. Um, kicking things off on Sunday was the AFC wildcard matchup between the Buffalo Bills, the two seed, hosting the seven seed Miami Dolphins in an AFC East the rematch. So this was an interesting one. Um, obviously, they, these two teams split the, the, the regular season series. Miami won the first one in week three at home. The Bills won the second one in week 15 in their place. The only thing was for uh, Miami, they weren't going to have uh, their starter, uh, Tua Tagovailoa. He was still in the concussion protocol. They also weren't going to have their backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, um, with the dislocated uh, pinky finger. So Mike McDaniel, uh, the Dolphins head coach, was forced to rely upon a third-string quarterback a seventh-round uh, rookie by the name of Skyler Thompson. Who? I don't, don't worry. I don't know either. So this is basically his second. I think yeah, his second or third start of the game of of a regular of a game, and not just a game, a playoff game. So initially, like when I talked about this game in the last episode. I mean, it should have been easy pickings for Buffalo. And initially, it seemed like it because Josh Allen moved the offense with ease, uh, got a quick deep pass to Stephon Diggs, set up a pass to Dawson Knox. The Bills were up 7-0. The defense quickly intercepted Skylar Thompson, um, and Buffalo took advantage of that interception. James Cook, the running game, got going. Touchdown, 14-0, just like that in the first quarter. But then something happened. Something happened um, uh, in the rest of the first half. It was no matter of the relentless blitz that Miami was putting on, Josh Allen just seemed to be a turnover machine. He's, he just wanted to turn over the ball in the first half with a lot of yeeted throws Um just out of nowhere. And yeah, it was like, what, two or three interceptions in that game in, in the first half alone. And on special teams, they muffed the punt. 
And Miami got back in the game to tie it up. And at the end of the first half, sure, Buffalo took a lead, but they shouldn't. They were literally letting Miami stay in the game with their constant mistakes. Especially Josh Allen. He was trying so hard to make something happen, to advance the ball downfield. He was being too aggressive um, in that game. I don't know if it was um, him trying to do too much or his offensive coordinator, uh, what was it, Ken Dorsey, scheming things around uh, the offense to, to be too Josh Allen-focused. Uh, Either way, it made for a concerning a concerning game for uh, Bills Mafia because Miami turned the tide initially and took the lead. Eric Rowe of the Dolphins strip sacked Josh Allen, and the Dolphins recovered it in the end, end zone um, to start the third quarter. And as soon as you know it, the Dolphins are up twenty-four to twenty, um, and Buffalo entered some serious trouble going in it going the rest of the way. Um, Fortunately for them, the Dolphins shot themselves in the foot one too many times down the stretch, especially in the fourth quarter with clock management and plays. Like, And once Buffalo took the lead back, uh, Miami was really getting to, into some trouble um, themselves, especially in, that last, in the last final six minutes when they had an opportunity to take the lead and upset Buffalo. Like, they wasted a lot of timeouts, a lot of time on the clock, like sure, they couldn't get. They were having trouble getting the plays in, but they they, they should have improvised. Skyler should have found found something to improvise with, but instead, it resulted in missed opportunities, wasted timeouts, rush plays, and eventually the Bills would go on to hold off uh, Miami and end an up, potential upset, and they would beat them thirty four to thirty one. So. That was a game that nobody expected it to be that close. Like, literally. Everyone was expecting for the Bills to easily dispose of um, the Tua Tugaviola-less Dolphins. But instead, because they got in their own way way too much, it just ended up being closer than people thought. And now people going into this game, divisional game, uh, whoever they play next, more on that in a bit. They have some serious concerns. A lot of people have serious concerns about the Bills, especially on offense and with Josh Allen. Like, people are having serious trust issues with with Josh Allen. I mean, not, not the team, but the fans um, and people that like Josh Allen. Like, his turnovers are becoming a problem. It, it, I think, for me, Josh Allen is putting way too much pressure on himself. To try and make things happen, he's turning the ball over like pretty much every week. Um, and if the constant turnovers keep happening um, for the Bills, then their playoff run, especially if they face a much tougher team like Cincinnati or the the Chiefs, if they ever get to the AFC title game, then it's only gonna get harder. It's only gonna get harder, and it's gonna result potentially. In the end of the Bills' latest attempt to get to back to the Super Bowl, so Josh Allen really has to cut back on trying to make things so damn hard on himself. Like he's playing, trying to be hero, way too much. It's like he's got to learn. He he has to learn 
to trust his teammates. Trust his teammates, especially his running back. Like James Cook has been doing pretty pretty solid. I mean, sure, he's not his brother, uh, Dalvin, but as a rookie, I mean, he's shown some potential. Come on, put some trust in your teammates. Meanwhile, for Miami, I think going into their offseason, of course, the biggest thing that you want to know is whether or not Tua uh, should be your starting quarterback going to 2023, considering the concussions that he uh, suffered um, this season. But I think the thing that Mike McDaniel will want to take away from this game is how to properly um, work the clock. Um, hopefully, that's something that he could work on. Um, going to year two because that was not that, that was not a good display of of good clock management um, in this game against Buffalo. It was just bad. It was just really really bad. So yeah, the Bills managed to hold on against the Dolphins, thirty four to thirty one. The Bills are moving on to the third straight divisional playoff game. Who are they going to play? Well, we're going to talk about that in just a bit. Back to the NFC side in the midday portion, the Minnesota Vikings uh, hosted the New York Giants as the three met the six in this matchup. So this is a rematch of their week 16 Christmas Eve meeting, which the Vikings outlasted the Giants 27 to 24 on the last second field goal. And yeah, this was this was a game. This was a, this is a pretty, pretty good game. Um, and this is actually a potential shootout, like from the start, um, because both teams uh, struck the end zone on their first drives. Um, and yeah, that, that set the tone for an interesting day. But it was the Giants um, that would uh, have the, the better consistency in this game. Daniel Jones um, had his way with the Vikings' atrocious defense all day long, um, whether it was his, with his arms or his legs. Um, he just looked uh, like a pretty... Uh, efficient quarterback and I guess in fairness well yeah like I said the Vikings defense was pretty ass and it showed in in the most toughest environment not not considering that they're at home but I mean in a playoff game they they really uh ran out of ran out of luck um on defense and just got exposed big time so Daniel Jones Pretty much had an efficient day, along with Saquon Barkley, who could, who constantly gashed as well the the Vikings defense. So the, the Giants went on this long ass drive um, <laughs> to burn the to burn the second quarter, most of the second quarter. Um, it was by and by that point, with like about like five minutes to go, it was seventeen to seven um, uh, going into the last five minutes, but. The Vikings managed to cut the lead to 17 to 14 um, to end the first half. Um, the defense for the Giants, though, like they sometimes have some lapses in coverage, um, like on the touchdown the K, um, on KJ Osborne. Like they were just they just left him wide open. Um, and yeah, it was 17 to 14 at halftime. But the problem was, it's like despite how how solid Kirk Cousins was playing. Um, the defense for Minnesota was just still getting exposed, still being terrible um, as there's like no pass rush. Um, and that allowed Daniel Jones to throw all day. And people were getting left open uh, wide, uh, just wide open in the secondary. And 
by, by the time you know it, with five minutes left to go in the third, the Giants were up 10. They were up 10. And then when you get to the fourth quarter, when it's all tied up, um, the Giants, uh, they even though even though they they get a stop, um, uh, they cur- the Kirk Cousins, sorry, the Vikings get a stop on the Giants sacking Daniel Jones. Um, the and the Vikings tied up at 24. The Giants made them pay them right right afterwards. They attacked their defense yet again. Saquon Barkley powers through. Um, through the goal when they get to the goal line, um, the Giants retake the lead, thirty-one to twenty-four. The Vikings, the only lead they had was really on their very first drive. Now the Vikings are literally in pressure mode, desperation. They have only have five minutes, so they couldn't do anything. They had to punt, and they had to spend all their timeouts to kill the clock. So New York had a chance to seal the deal. Uh, with the first down to with an opportunity to get a first down with three minutes left. But man, that was a killer. <laughs> that was a near killer by Darius Slain dropping a wide open uh, check down uh, catch from Daniel uh, from Daniel Jones and it gave the Minnesota Vikings initially one last chance to make one their uh, signature stupidly crazy comebacks that they had all year long. But when they got to midfield, um, they they stalled. They stalled at midfield, and then with the game on the line, they couldn't call any timeouts. Uh, they couldn't punt. The pressure just got too hot. The pressure just got too uh, high for Kirk Cousins. And what did he do? Rather than go to his main man, Justin Jefferson, who, by the way, was covered all game. They took, the, the Giants took away Justin Jefferson um, from the Vikings offense. Ooh, yeah, credit to them. Adam Thielen barely got any action. Um, <laughs> he also got covered. TJ Hawkinson was the only reliable guy for for Kirk. And what did he do with TJ Hawkinson? He threw a check down. Fucking yikes, dude. He threw a check down to TJ Hawkinson well short of the first down on fourth and eight. TJ Hawkinson caught a checkdown pass from Kirk Cousins, and the Giants easily stopped him from getting that first down and clinched the upset 31 to 24. Like, oh my goodness. And yeah, I said the Giants were gonna upset uh the Vikings in like the only upset of this weekend. But it's like, dude, to end like that, that that's awful. That is well, I mean, I guess. It's also expected because, well, it's Kirk Cousins. He he, he falters in the biggest of moments. But this was like, for some people, this is like a different Kirk Cousins. But then, as as proven in that final final play, it's like, well, the Kirk Cousins of old is once again, it's once again back. But again, then again, this this whole game aside from that one play. This whole game proved that, well, it wasn't all Kirk Cousins' fault. Sure, he could have found a, found a way to escape the pocket. And, yeah, he's not a, like a mobile quarterback, but he has found ways to escape the pocket. It's just that that offensive line didn't really let him uh, escape it. And that offensive line was very beat up uh, with injuries. And 
very unreliable this whole season. Um, like, did you see how many times Kirk Cousins got hit? How many times he's got sacked in the regular season? It was a lot. It was a lot. And then the defense, it got exposed big time um, in, in this game. And it was one of the many times where they got exposed. I mean, come on. What I'm saying is the Vikings have to commit to addressing the defense and the offensive line this offseason. Like, they, they're they a little bit in the red, but they have they have to make some some cost-cutting measures. They have to decide, like, who's worth keeping, who's worth deleting, and just find something. Find anything to, uh, to make the defense stronger, make the offensive line stronger, because... It was clear from from the what since the onset of week three that this defense is going to be the the death nail in the Vikings' hopes of reaching like deep into the playoffs. Sure, they won the, the division from the Packers, but they didn't even get far. They didn't even get far um, in Green Bay. So. I hope that the Vikings seriously commit to addressing their biggest weakness in the offseason. If they don't, well, that's their loss. Meanwhile, for the Giants, um, this is a good job by them um, in this game. And yeah, they did play the, the Vikings' weak-ass defense, but they ha- they should be uh, proud of the of just getting to this point. And uh, yeah, they definitely want to go for more. And they do fa- definitely face a tougher task next against the Philadelphia Eagles. But, but, they do have at least some kind of potential recipe for success um, um, against coming up. They took away Kirk Cousins' best weapon and Justin Jefferson. And sure, it'll be a tall ask to find a way to take away Jalen Hurts' best weapons and A.J. Brown and, and Devontae Smith. But the Giants, like, they're playing with a lot of motivation, with a lot of grit, with a lot of physicality, especially in the defensive front with Dexter Lawrence and and Kayvon Thibodeau. And, yeah, it's going to definitely be tough. It's definitely going to be tough for the Giants to um, upset the Eagles. But if they can cut it close, make it physical against Philadelphia, and offensively, if Daniel Jones can find some holes against um, the Eagles' uh, defensive line, who will be getting some people back, but who knows? They may be rusty. Then this game, that game can be a little bit closer than you think, or maybe not. But the Giants on on that wild card game did pretty pretty good. They did pretty good. So yeah, that was the the last. Uh, game on the Sunday slate for the NFC. Um, the nightcap for the the wildcard Sunday was the three-seeded Cincinnati Bengals hosting the six-seeded Baltimore Ravens and in an immediate three-match between the division rivals. Why did I say immediate? Well, the Bengals pretty much hosted the Ravens the week before. Yeah, <laughs> the last week of the regular season. Uh, so, yeah, there's a matchup that, I, like I said, very much with uh, a few of the other matchups in Wild Card Weekend. Uh, I fully expected Cincinnati to beat the brakes off of Baltimore because, well, 
they were not going to have Lamar Jackson. Um, they were not. They 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 may have had uh, Tyler Huntley, but it didn't matter. Like whether it was going to be Tyler Huntley, whether it was going to be Lamar Jackson. Um, and even with a good defense, it's like the offense was just a mess. Like a mess. Like even with Mark Andrews, even with J.K. Dobbins, it's like they didn't have receiving help. They don't have, like they don't have the supporting cast necessary to keep up with uh, Cincinnati. But man, was I wrong about this game? <laughs> was I totally wrong about this game, huh? So despite Cincinnati taking an early nine and nothing advantage, it could have been ten, but uh, Evan McPherson uh, missed a field goal. Uh, the Ravens and Tyler Huntley would go on a very long drive um, in the second quarter, and they cut the lead to uh, to just three, ten to seven. J.K. Dobbins um, barely scored a touchdown um, by reaching for the goal line, um, and then safety Kyle Hamilton um, on the other end um, would immediately give Baltimore the ball back before the half via a fumble by tight end Hayden Hurst. And Justin Tucker kicked a field goal and gave, gave him the halftime lead 10 to 9. So, yeah, it was a defensive uh, battle uh, for most of this game. So, the Bengals uh, went on this this drive of their own um, to start their their first uh, second, second half series. And, yeah, they capped it off with Joe Burrow putting in a QB sneak. And after Marcus Peters... Um, decided to commit a, stu- a stupid pass interference penalty. Uh, they converted the two-point conversion to T. Higgins, and they were up 17-10. to 10. But then the Ravens actually responded in kind. They Tyler Huntley actually did a led a pretty s- decent uh, drive um, attacking the, Raven, uh, the Bengals' uh, defense with two mid-range throws and then a long bomb touchdown to receiver Demarcus Robinson. And the game was tied at 17. So... From there, it was a defensive battle, um, and Huntley and the Ravens were threatening again to take the lead to begin the fourth quarter. But then, I don't know why the Ravens did this. They decided to have Tyler Huntley jump over everybody, stretch for the goal line to get a touchdown when they got there, and it it obviously backfired. It it really backfired on them. Uh, linebacker Logan Wilson punched the ball out of his hands, and defensive end Sam Hubbard uh, grabbed it took it to the other side of the field and gave the Bengals a lead they would never let go of. Like, I don't know why uh, offensive coordinator Greg Roman, uh, some 49ers fans are familiar with, I don't know why he would call that kind of play um, when the Bengals were all in, ready to defend that. And when you leave the ball just wide open like that to uh, get the ball punched out like that, makes it even more ridiculous so it also is ridiculous that he didn't even reach he didn't even get to the point of the goal line and he was like arguing like hey i i, I crossed the i crossed the goal line uh no you didn't the goal the evidence is clear and obvious that you didn't so i don't know why you were arguing that so anyway once they get to once they get to the two minute uh warning Huntley and the Ravens actually had one last chance uh, to threaten a overtime period, but it was clear uh, and obvious that his limitations, penalties, um, were not going to get him there. And then I don't know why John Harbaugh was like killing the clock. 
they weren't calling a timeout. They were playing hurry up. They were just like, oh, let's let's huddle. Let's have a huddle. And after the huddle, they didn't even get the, the playoff. Uh, they didn't even um, complete, uh, complete a catch or anything. It's like, what the hell are you doing? And then Huntley throws a last gas Hail Mary under pressure, deflected um, by the Bengals defense. And uh, funny enough, the, the Ravens barely, like barely almost uh, uh, got away. Uh, they almost got away with a touchdown. Uh, a receiver behind all those people in the end zone by the name of James uh, Prochet. He nearly caught it. <laughs> you know, if he had been there, um, been a little bit more situational awareness, had he been near the ball long enough um, in time, he could have caught that thing. And lo and behold, touchdown. So the Bengals barely escaped uh, with the win, 24-17. They earned themselves a trip to Orchard Park to face the Bills in the Week 17 matchup that never was. So obviously we know what happened there. So, yeah. The Bengals set themselves up for a trip to Buffalo um, after holding off the Ravens in this uh, wild, crazy uh, ending to a wild card game. Yeah, fitting of an AFC North rivalry, huh? <laughs> so, yeah, Baltimore blew it though. They can't, they really blew it with despite having the um, a backup uh, quarterback and a pretty middling offense um, that's too Mark Andrews centric. So, yeah, they, they are so, they're definitely some things to address for Baltimore in the offseason. Like, yeah, are they going to give Lamar Jackson that big fat contract um, concerning the injury uh, that he had, his commitment to Baltimore? Uh, are, are they going to look for another receiver for Rashad Bateman? They have to, they have to do something in the offseason. They really do. Are they going to actually find a good offensive coordinator too? That can like play to Lamar's strengths. That can you know take advantage of Lamar's actual uh, throwing ability rather than just make him run the damn ball all the time. Because it eventually took its toll. It eventually took its toll. Just look at the injury that he had. That took him out for like at least a month. Like Baltimore, like shot itself in the foot uh, on Sunday and now faces a major offseason. Meanwhile, for the Bengals, uh, they yes they won this game, but there are some things concerning um, coming out of it, and that was the injuries at the offensive line uh, for me. I mean, sure, Joe Burrow has has played with a crappy offensive line um, in the 2021 playoffs. Um, not that it was like fun to do that, but the whole reason why uh, Cincinnati um, made those moves in the offseason was to protect Joe Burrow because he was getting hit way too much. And now they head to Buffalo with serious concerns at the offensive line. Like, left tackle Jonah Williams left the game with a dislocated kneecap, and right guard Alex Kappa is, is not sure they're, if they're going to play. with. Is he still nursing the, right, uh, the ankle injury? So they're already down, like, what, three linemen because Lyle Collins, uh, the tackle is out for the year with the ACL tear. So half of their starting linemen is out. And they're, they're not sure if Kappa's going to be there to play against the Bills. Uh, even without Vaughn Miller, their pass rush is still pretty good. 
So they can't afford to lose any more people up front because it's just going to basically be like 2021 all over again. Burrow's going to get hit. He's going to get pressured. He's going to have nowhere to go um, against the Bills' defensive line. So they have to hope at least Alex Kappa can be ready to go next week in Buffalo because if he can't, then Burrow's going to be running for his life again, just like last year. So... Yeah, Cincinnati beats uh, the Ravens uh, 24 to 17, gets a trip to Buffalo to take on the Bills. And yeah, that should be, regardless of the offensive line issues for Cincinnati, this should be an exciting matchup for uh, for everyone. Whether you're a fan of Buffalo, whether you're a fan of Cincinnati, this should be a fun matchup. Then to close out uh, Super Wild Card weekend, we had the Dallas Cowboys at number five travel to Tampa Bay. Uh, the number four seed take on the Buccaneers, or as I like to call them, the Bucks. So this is a rematch of their Week One meeting uh, that the Bucks won 19 to three in Dallas. This time around, Tampa as the NFC South yet losing NFC South champions uh, hosted this game in their turf. So yeah, this was a game like that. Both teams were coming in not so good. Dallas, like in their Week 18 matchup against Washington, was really bad. And then, obviously, for Tampa Bay, they didn't look so good uh, all season long. And um, it was the two two games against Carolina and Atlanta, at least for a half, that the Tom Brady and the Bucks offense looked pretty solid for, for um, a good chunk of their games. So, yeah, this is a game, a winner-go-home game, where one of these teams got the right to face San Francisco in the next round. And... For Dallas, they want to get their first road playoff win since, like, literally in the 1990s for Tampa. They want to hopefully get something um, for Tom Brady in what could potentially be his last rodeo. And, unfortunately, uh, for for the Bucs, it, it, it didn't seem to be. Um, you know, both offenses struggled on their first two series, but... It was the Cowboys and their offense. They were able to settle in. Um, the, they set, they take the first lead of the night with Dak Prescott uh, connecting with Dolan Schultz, wide open in broken coverage, um, in a what also seemed like a broken Bucks defense, like for for much of the night. And the Bucks offense on the in response, they seemed well on their way to taking the lead uh, after Brett Maher missed a field goal, uh, an extra point, mind you. They seemed not all on their way um, to taking the lead as they got to Dallas's red zone. But Tampa's weakened offensive line, even with center Ryan Jensen back, um, they broke down. Tom Brady threw a hurried end zone interception into the arms of safety J. Uh, J. Ron Curse, And the, the offense for Dallas went on another slow and methodical drive, uh, dissecting the Bucks' defense in both ways, on, the rush, on rushing and in the air. And Dak Prescott um, blitzed and, t- and twisted the, the Bucks defense for a rushing goal line touchdown. And lo and behold, the Cowboys were up uh, big on Tampa. The only problem was Brett Maher was, ca- was missing his, his extra points. And those extra points were keeping, were keeping Tampa in the game slightly. Slightly, because... The Bucs weren't able to get anything going against a relentless Dallas defense. The, they were just bullying the Tampa the Tampa front 
uh, offensively. Uh, so eventually, Dallas takes a 18 to nothing halftime lead. Again, three straight mixed extra points. We're kind of keeping the Bucks in it, but by near the end of the the third quarter, despite a uh, last gasp, I guess you could say last gasp, a uh, touchdown from Brady to Julio Jones. It was just too little too late uh, for Brady and the Bucks. Dallas' defensive front was just simply too much for Tom Brady um, as they kept rattling and pressuring him into like hurried throws, um, mistakes, uh, balls on the ground. And Dallas just further built up its lead um, as they avenged their week one loss to to the Bucks 31 to 14 and they move on to face my 49ers in the NFC divisional playoffs so yeah the Cowboys they played uh yeah credit to them they played a pretty solid game the only thing is that, yeah they played a clearly hapless Bucks team on all sides of the ball uh Prescott uh you know he played one of his best games of his career again credit, that's due to playing a pretty bad uh, Bucks defense, uh, he, but he did spread the wealth uh, to CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Don Schultz, and others while escaping, well, whatever pressure that the Bucks defense was able to get against a game Cowboys offensive line despite losing Jason Peters. Um, on the other side, you know, the pass rush of Michael Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, Dorrance Armstrong, and Jonathan uh, Hankins they were always going in. They were always finding ways to close in on Tom Brady, limiting him from making big throws all game long, and made made him made him make mistakes all all day. Now the only thing is, can this same Cowboys team, who are going to have a major disadvantage um, in terms of of rest, in terms of a short turnaround, can they keep can they find a way to follow up against my 49ers, who have had the benefit? Of two days of extra rest, um, and have a be- have the beneficiary of a sh- of multiple playmakers, multiple playmakers on both sides of the ball. That'll be seen. That'll be seen. It's gonna make for an intriguing matchup. But yeah, the 49ers may have all the advantages, but yeah, it's all about who wins it in the end. Meanwhile, for the Bucks, it's gonna be. An interesting offseason, like a really interesting offseason for them. Um, not just for the Bucks, also for Tom Brady, but the Bucks first. Uh, this season was just absolutely disappointing for them. Um, this was about to, supposed to be about to be giving Brady one last deep run um, at a Super Bowl, uh, but instead it just completely faltered. Um, they, the offense looked completely lost and lifeless um, for half of the season. The defense. Just simply not the same, um, and they also suffered a lot of in, uh, a lot of in and out injuries um, that kind of threw the whole team um, off in terms of chemistry. And honestly, in my opinion, Tom Brady should have stayed retired. Like I don't know why he had to come back. What was there to prove? So now Tampa Bay is facing an offseason full of uncertainty that just goes beyond Tom Brady. There are several players like Levante David, Sean Murphy Bunting, uh, Jamal Dean. They're going to be free agents. And Tampa Bay doesn't have the cap space because of Tom Brady's big back contract. And 
contracts like Leonard Fournette's that they don't have the money to spend on keeping all these guys. So they're going to have to find a way to get back in the green before they can start spending in free agency. Speaking of Tom Brady, like I said, what was there to prove coming back? <laughs> like why, why even need to like retire then unretire last year? Like there was no need to like, there was nothing left to prove. He's, he's won seven Super Bowls. He's like, he's like, the, the guy with the most Super Bowl champions championships. He has multiple records. Like, what was there left to prove um, for Brady? Like that he's he's the he's the guy that can't have his records broken ever. Like, there was nothing left for Tom Brady to prove coming in for this season. And it only just made him look like a martyr's not really the right term, but it just made him look weak. Him look weak. So now he goes into an an off season where he's gonna have to think long and hard if it's seriously worth playing another season in the NFL. Because in all honesty, if he does come back, just it's honestly only gonna be worth playing one season. Like you're you're really only gonna be worth one one season to let's say the Raiders, and then you're just gonna say see ya. See ya, and then don't want to be ya. And then, what are the Raiders going to do after that? They're going to have to find a quarterback again. So, how is it going to be worth for a team to like to go get go and get Tom Brady when he's at this age, and especially after the seasons he had? So, for Brady, he should honestly just re-retire. Go into the Fox broadcast booth. And yes, I, I get the desire that he wants to play. But considering that the seasons he the season that he has had this year, he has he absolutely has nothing left to prove. He's, he has to retire. It's, it's time for him to face the reality, man. It really is. So, yeah. That's pretty much how it went down um, in this final wildcard game uh, between the Cowboys and the Bucks. 31 to 14. The Cowboys boat raced uh, Tampa out of their building. And yeah, that was Super Wild Card weekend for you. Um, and yeah, what did you what you all think about it? Um, did you did your team win? If you were a fan of these teams, or did you just enjoy it in general, or did you were you bored out of your mind of it? <laughs> Let me know your thoughts about it, man. Um, whether it's on on social media or if you're watching this on YouTube in the comments. Let me know. Um, what you thought about these matchups any way you can. And then, man, this divisional weekend, it's it's set up to be a very interesting one, a very big one. Um, I think it could be definitely be better than um, the upcoming, like right after that, the conference championship weekend. I mean, just giving you a very early look at it before we talk about it in the next, the next episode. Um, I mean, probably not uh, Jaguars and Chiefs, Giants and Eagles, uh, Bengals and Bills, and then Cowboys and my 49ers. That's a big slate right there. The NFL is going to go bonanzas <laughs> with, with that. They're going to love those matchups. Uh, so that's going to be a big, big weekend of football right there. Um, and with with conference championship trips on the line, it's going to be big. It definitely is going to be a very big matchup. 
and I'm looking I'm really looking forward to it I really am so anyway that is you this that is it for this episode of very cold lasagna I am your filthy casual host Dylan lasagna bringing you another round of filthy casual takes on this episode anyway uh, make sure to keep that lasagna very cold in the fridge with your take on the world of sports and yeah until next time until another episode of this icy yet spicy podcast peace out